You're listening to a special episode of One Decision. We are in Madrid for the historic NATO summit, and some of the biggest news coming out this week was Turkey dropping its objection to Finland and Sweden becoming members of NATO after decades of neutrality. Pekka Havisto is Finland's foreign minister. He sat down with us to give us his take on the historic announcements and what Finland's military will bring to the alliance. Minister Havisto, first of all, it was just two weeks ago when Turkey was refusing to enter into talks with uh, with you and Sweden, uh, accusing both of your countries of being incubators for terrorists. Now, you've made quite a breakthrough this week. The Memorandum of Understanding signed by your three nations shows a raft of new commitments that you have made in order to placate Ankara. You've reaffirmed your commitments to Turkey's security. You've promised not to provide any support to the YPG uh, or the PYD. Uh, you've also promised to address Turkey's pending deportation or extradition requests uh, of terror suspects. First of all, these promises you've made to Turkey uh, in order to have them drop your opposition to your membership of NATO, are they a small price to pay for NATO membership? And what exactly does addressing Turkey's extradition requests mean and are they likely to be granted? But first of all, the document that we prepared with uh, uh, Turkey, uh, it took the final discussions around four hours with President Erdogan and our President Niinistö and, and uh, Prime Minister uh, Andersson from Sweden. And we, of course, had a very clear limit from our parliament. We are not going to change our legislation based on any document that is signed here in the Ma- Madrid uh, NATO summit. So we said on arms export that we will uh, consider also the uh, membership of the same alliance as one of the arguments that can be used in in our arms export. We have a national legislation on arms export where are several different components, including the human rights issues. Secondly, on the deportation, we actually promised to process uh, things uh, without delay and, and so forth. But of course, again, the legislation that we have on, on deportation is very clear and including the human rights principles and so forth. Uh, and then on the first issue on the terrorism, it's, uh, it's of course, it was complicated discussion because first it was about the PKK and the PKK issue is such that the uh, uh, it, PKK is, uh, as an organization is forbidden in Finland, Sweden, in the whole European Union. It's very clear that it's it's looked as a terrorist organization. Then the Turkish request has been to add to this terrorism list some other organizations that they are concerned, including the Gulen organization and including the YPG in, in the uh, northeast Syria and so forth. And we refused, of course, to list these as a terrorist organizations. But in the document, we uh, describe the fact that Finland and Sweden is not supporting mm. these organizations. We are not funding these organizations and so forth. So it's it's actually already an existing fact. Mm. And, and that's, uh, that uh, Turkey was very pleased with that uh, argument. And, and we, we put that to the document. But you've promised to process these uh, requests for extradition you've not promised to grant them. And of course, Turkey's idea of a terrorist may be a European person's idea of an activist. Well, it's uh, when we promised to process, then of course, we we didn't guarantee any outcome of that uh, processing. And and of course, in that process, different arguments Mm. uh, can be very heavy, the human rights arguments and and, uh, some people might need protection and so forth. But we have, of course, uh, even in the past, deported some of the criminals, ordinary Mm. criminals, for example, uh, 
people who have done some rapes and, and so forth, we have been deporting those to Turkey. So that's that's clear. Got it. Uh, Finland and Sweden are often described as being among Europe's most sophisticated and powerful militaries on the continent. With NATO membership, you're bringing that firepower right to Russia's doorstep. Previously, you've had a very long history of wartime neutrality and staying away from military alliances like NATO. Before the invasion of Ukraine, your government had previously said you were not worried about the threat uh, from Russia to your country specifically. Uh, I even heard a minister on, on, on the radio uh, dismissing uh, any, uh, any threats to, to Finland, despite the fact that you have a massive border with Russia. So why have things changed now? And why did they not change back in 2014 when Crimea was annexed or even 2008 when Georgia was annexed? Why is now different? Well, first of all, we have more than one. 1,300 kilometer common border uh, with Russia. It has been mostly in the history a peaceful border and we want to remain that border as a peaceful border. It's very important that we have a normal border, cross-border cooperation. We are actually still issuing visas to Russian citizens and our border authorities are working normally and we are of course very happy that this is the situation on our border and we want to bring to NATO a peaceful border also uh, between Finland and Russia. Then those things that has changed the 24th of uh, February in our thinking. First of all, we we have seen the collapse of the European security system. Uh, Finland has always been the true believer of the OEC and of course the Helsinki Final Act was signed in Helsinki 1975 and we'll be actually chairing the OEC 2025 again during the 50-year celebration. But of course we also have to admit that the European security architecture has collapsed because it couldn't prevent the war in Europe. The whole security architecture, of course, the main main task for that is to prevent the war. And we had two Minsk agreements and we had the Budapest agreement on the nuclear uh, weapons and so forth, but, but we st- still saw a an, an direct attack against the Ukraine. Secondly, uh, the, the issue issue that uh, Russia is behaving more unpredictable way and actually taking more risks also in its own operations. When we compare to Georgia 2008 or to Crimea occupation 2014, these were very calculated or well-calculated risks by Russia when, when they, they maybe saw that some sanctions are coming, but these were not... Uh, fundamentally influencing Russia, but to attack a country of 40 million people and try to change in a military way, it's, its government is quite a, quite a step. So it's, it's in other scale than these earlier ones. Then, of course, we have actually, we have seen that Russia was playing with the idea of a military exercise on the border of, of Ukraine, but it was bringing 100,000 troops mm. without a general mobilization. So Russia actually showed quite a capacity that they can collect 100,000 soldiers and then suddenly uh, come over the border, uh, aggression against the capital Kiev. Uh, then this loose talk about the nuclear weapons and chemical weapons is also a new phenomenon. It goes back almost to, to the Cuban crisis when, when this kind of language has been used. So these are some of the arguments. And of course, then finally, the, the Russian violation of, of the uh, norms of warfare when we look at Geneva Conventions and how civilians should be treated and how prisoners, war prisoners should be treated. All these uh, norms are now violated. So these facts, of course, mm. put us to react to the situation very rapidly. And we were thinking that we have a strong 
traditional military force in Finland. We have almost 300,000 uh, men and women in our reserve. We have a conscription army. We have just ordered 64 new F-35 uh, fighters and so forth. But our people ask that if we are threatened with unconventional weapons, with nuclear weapons, with the chemical weapons, or if we are threatened with these hybrid and cyber threats. Mm-hmm. These are maybe threats that we cannot face alone. We need mm-hmm. some cooperation. And that was one of the arguments. I see, I see. The, the, the declaration signed by NATO today contained a paragraph that essentially equated Russia's actions in Ukraine with terrorism. Would you describe what Russia is doing in Ukraine as terrorism? Well, of course, this was a NATO document that we didn't uh, participate in, in formulating it yet. But, uh, but of course, the, the, what we see now uh, by Russian is, as I said, uh, not only a, a, a criminal act of war, uh, uh, which, which is internationally condemned, but also the, the issues in, in Butcher and, and others where uh, human rights are violated, the civilians are, are violated in this warfare. We are extremely concerned that the principles of Geneva Conventions are not followed. Right. A lot of those, um, uh, a lot of those crimes were carried out in, in Syria by, by Russians. Would you, would you also describe their actions in, in, in Syria as, as terrorism? Well, in Syria, of course, uh, uh, I don't want to now define with this or that topic, but of Mm. course in Syria what we witnessed was also the use of the chemical weapons at at some moment and and, uh, and, and so forth. And and this, of course, shows that uh, that, that, uh, international rules are not respected in in these war situations. And this this is a a major, major concern in the international community. CNN reported this week, I don't know if you've seen this, um, that White House officials privately doubt that Ukraine will be able to take back all of its territory that it's lost to Russia and be able to go back to the pre-February 24th borders. Uh, That is even with the heavier weaponry uh, and more sophisticated weaponry that uh, the the US and its allies uh, plan to send to Ukraine. What would your thoughts be on that? Well, first on the defense of uh, Ukraine, of course, Finland has also participated to send lethal material. I think we are now preparing our seventh package of lethal material to Ukraine. And and this is, of course, the first time we are sending arms and weapons to military area or or in the country that is in the middle of war. And and I think this just shows, and this is what almost all EU countries are doing, actively supporting supporting uh, now Ukraine and of course for our purposes to to get as good situation as possible for Ukraine prior to possible talks one day on the on the peace and so forth and of course we hope that uh, uh, Ukraine can take back the areas in the east and, and of course Crimea and so forth but it's very much up to Ukraine then to decide of course uh, when uh, and how any, any peace talks would be conducted. But prior to that, I think it's very important to support their, uh, also their military. Mm. Well, what do you think it would take uh, for the Ukrainians to be able to push the Russians back to the pre-February 24th borders? Is it just a matter of heavy, uh, heavy weaponry, sophisticated weaponry from the US and its allies, or does it need more than that? Well, difficult to say because this war, of course, depends on the both sides. First, it's about the Russians uh, 
own resilience and, and uh, the resilience of Russia and their capability to renew their military uh, equipment and, and build maybe have more ammunition and build their military uh, equipment and so forth. I'm, I'm, I'm not fully aware what are their capabilities now. Of course, the sanctions are influencing them, for example, in the form that uh, modern technology cannot so much be used, but of course they are, they seem to use also old-fashioned technology and, 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 and so forth. On the other hand, of course, uh, I, I know that uh, many countries who uh, are offering capabilities to Ukraine are are also putting some limitations, for example, that the materials cannot be used to attack Russian side and mm. and so forth. This but, is but a very on that, difficult plan. But on that, the Russians, they, they claim the areas that they have taken in the Donbass, they say that this is now Russian territory. Mm. So so what happens then? This is very difficult to say. I, I think the prior to 20, uh, pri- prior to Butsha news, I, I think there were some uh, peace initiatives or peace talks facilitated also by Turkey or Turkey, uh, where where uh, some kind of ceasefire was planned according to the borders of 24th of uh, February and so forth. Of course, one element that has been now is obvious is that uh, Russia is also... Uh, blocking actually the uh, sea routes of of uh, Ukraine and trying to make Ukraine a landlocked country mm-hmm. and of course this as we know is influencing to the grain trade and and to to uh, all economic activities of of Ukraine and and one of the solutions of course of the war has to be that uh, Ukraine has again access to the sea and and through other support and probably other ports mm-hmm. this is a very important goal the Soviets invaded Finland back in 1939 uh, and amid a very fierce and globally admired Finnish resistance uh, being hugely outnumbered by the Soviet army. Uh, your country resisted occupation for more than three months. What are the lessons from that invasion uh, and what would be different about a confrontation with Russia today, taking aside uh, how NATO would respond? Well, of course, the so-called Winter War 1939 uh, was complicated for Finland, therefore that we were fighting alone and, and uh, we, we at that moment couldn't get international uh, help or international support and of course that's that's probably why why that is in the memory of many Finns, not only that we lost so many Finns and, and Finnish soldiers in the war, but also the the feeling that what is the feeling when you are fighting alone and, and even if press was covering it global press was covering it as a very heroic battle of course for for Finns it was very consuming battle for the reason that we were the lack of men and lack of material in the end of end of the war and then of course had to go also to the peace talks um, what it probably showed us is that how important it is to 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 have support of your neighbors and, and allies and, and so forth. And, and this has since then, of course, been been a topic. And when we joined European Union, for mm. example, the feeling was that, well, never alone. And now, of course, the NATO application is there. And this, I think, the same same feeling that never alone is one of the leading principles. Yeah, but, but that's interesting because for so long you've had this position of military uh, neutrality. So how does that square? That was, of course... Uh, uh, since we were losing, of course, uh, the the winter war and then the continuation war uh, against Russia, of course, we were in a very uh, narrow uh, path uh, to to balance 
between neutrality or the increased Russian influence to our society. And we, of course, had, had been witnessing the occupation of the Baltic states. We have been witnessing the whole born of the Cold War divided Europe, and we, we remained on the on the right side of the Iron Curtain that time, but, but uh, trying to balance in our foreign policy, uh, of course, issues. Also, our military capabilities were limited due to the peace agreements that we had to make with with uh, Russia and that of course was also one of the limitations that we had. Mm. What is the best thing that NATO gets out of Finnish membership? Is there an aspect of your defense forces um, or security that is particularly useful to the the NATO alliance? If you were to be singing the praises of, of your military what is the top thing that you'd be saying to NATO? Come on guys you really want to give us membership because you get this. Well, I, I, I said today in a panel discussion in the NATO summit that uh, with Finland, uh, in one way, if people are always thinking that Finland is a very modern country and technologically advanced country, I, I, I said that you will get a very old-fashioned mm. member because we have a conscription army. We have almost 300,000 men and women in our reserve. We are still building bomb shelters in Finland. It's according to our legislation. You have to protect yourself, of course, from even from the nuclear war and and so forth. So we, we, in that sense, we are a little bit old-fashioned compared how things have been developing in other countries in Europe. But at the same time, of course, we have a technically advanced military. We have ordered 64 new F-35 planes and, and so forth. And we have been investing, of course, uh, uh, to our military. We are over 2% of our GDP. And we have been taking part to uh, NATO operations in Bosnia, in Kosovo, in Afghanistan, and so forth. So we are, we are of course, uh, ha- having a military that has been used to cooperate with the NATO. Mm. You've mentioned uh, that you want the, the, that long border that you have with Russia to remain peaceful. What what arena do you find? Do you, are you most expecting uh, a potential confrontation with Russia in? Would it be a land? Uh, invasion, or would it be airspace, maritime, or cyberspace? Where, if if Russia were to attack you, how do you think they're most likely to do it? Well, when we tabled the NATO application, our president Niinistö called to Putin and, and was telling him that now we Finland is applying NATO membership, and and uh, some of our European friends were asking why to call, mm. why to call to Russia. And we, polite, we, we said, well, we usually call to our neighbors and tell what's, what's, how is our life and what we are doing next and so forth. We are used to that. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, the answer from Putin was that uh, uh, it's not so a good idea and we are not threatened in any way by Russia and, and so forth. But, but of course, uh, for those reasons that I explained, we, we, we feel more unsecure now in Europe uh, after the Russian attack against Ukraine. Uh, we are prepared, of course, uh, traditionally for uh, all kinds of violations on the land or air or, or sea and so forth. But of course, nowadays, the new layer of threats are uh, coming through the hybrid and cyber uh, issues. We have, of course, suffered some of the uh, cyber attacks like any almost any country in, in, in Europe. And, and of course, we have to be ready for, for those as, as well. But so far, everything has been uh, peaceful. What's it like being next door to Russia? If you could swap with another European country that doesn't share a land border, would you do so? Well, uh, I have said that we have 
we look 100 years backwards and 100 years to, towards the future. And when we look backwards, we have a neighbor where first was a Russian Tsar and then Lenin and Stalin and then Rutschev and then Brezhnev and then uh, Gorbachev and then Yeltsin and then Putin. So we have seen it all, actually, and all these changes in our neighborhood. And, and if we have to uh, foresee the future, actually, we have the same guess that it will be 100 year maybe time to time peaceful periods, maybe Western orientated periods, and then some other more authoritarian periods. And this is the neighbor we are used to live with. Of course, this time is very exceptional because we have heavy sanctions also against Russia at the moment. It's influencing to our economic context to, to Russia. Of course, it's also influenced to us in the form that the gas trade was cut, uh, the oil, uh, we don't buy any more than oil from Russia or coal from Russia and so forth. So we have to adjust in this new situation. But I, I, th I think it's a, uh, it's a Russia that at some moment will change. And of course, we hope that the change then will happen to the better direction. I think it's nice to end on an op a positive note, a hopeful note. So thank you so much, Minister. Thank you very much for your thank time. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for this special episode from One Decision here at the NATO Summit in Madrid. Stay tuned for our continuing coverage, exclusive interviews with world leaders and NATO ambassadors from this historic gathering at a time of war. From me and the team, thanks for listening and see you next time.